Okay, so I've made mention of Australia on a couple of occasions because they're like insane with their COVID policies. So I feel the need to bring this to you because it is a sign, I think, of sanity, a little bit of sanity in Australia. Following widespread anti-lockdown protests, Australia will end its COVID zero policy, which Prime Minister Scott Morrison said is not sustainable. (laughs) Really? It's not sustainable. Who would have thought? Uh, Does this mean you stop building the quarantine camps? Australia has adopted some of the strictest coronavirus lockdown policies in the world in an attempt to eradicate the coronavirus within its borders. Major Australian cities, including Sydney, Melbourne, and the capital of Canberra, were placed under lockdown under a policy that has been characterized as, quote, wildly successful for keeping COVID-19 deaths under 1,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. At the cost of restricting personal liberties and closing the borders and preventing more than 30,000 Australians living abroad from even returning home. (laughs) So aside from that, yeah, well, when you are an island nation and you shut down the island from anybody coming aboard, uh, yeah, then you can kind of control. Like This is the thing. If you want to really eradicate a virus, there is a way to do it. I've said this from the very beginning. You can lock everybody in an individual room in a cage of some kind, right? Um, and keep them separated away from other human beings for, let's say, oh, I don't know, two months. And if we did that to every single person on the planet for the exact same two-month period, that probably would do the trick, right? That would probably do the trick. But, I mean, you're going to have to have the authority and the facility to do it. And you're going to have to get people to abide by that, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say a lot of people will not. (laughs) So what do we do instead? With the advent now of the more contagious Delta variant, the Australian government was forced to change its policy, saying COVID zero is not attainable. COVID zero, that was their policy. Zero COVID, right? Instead, the coronavirus lockdowns will end once 80% of adults in the nation are vaccinated against COVID-19. That, according to The Economist report, restrictions would only be reimposed in the case of a hospital threatening to reach full capacity. So they're going to push forward to get to the 80% threshold, which I just mentioned Israel has already gotten to, and they've got a massive outbreak. Initially, uh, Australia attempted to control the spread of the Delta variant by implementing circuit breakers, they called it, which was a policy of locking down any area of the country where a positive COVID-19 case was detected So they could stop the spread of the virus at the very beginning. This led to, remember the story, what, last week, uh, that some shelter in Australia, like, shot and killed a whole bunch of dogs because they didn't want humans to come and adopt them. Because the fear was they had one case, one COVID case in that district or county or whatever they call them. Uh, they probably got like a really weird Australian name for them, but whatever, they, a province. And so they had one case and they were like, oh. Can't have anybody moving around, nobody coming to the shelter, and so they killed the dogs. Like, this is why I say Australia has gone crazy with this stuff. Um, although I do think there's probably something in sort of the, the national DNA, it being a former prison colony and all, like, maybe there's something there, like, 
they're more willing to go along with a lockdown, right? I don't know. I, I mean, I, like, I don't know really anything. Like, all I know about Australian culture, I learned from Crocodile Dundee in the 90s, okay? <laughs> they like large knives and shrimp on a barbecue. That's like my, and they have that and the weird bloom, building. the blooming onions. The blooming onion, that's true. They love the blooming onion. Very fattening, by the way. <laughs> Very fattening. I will tell you, the blooming onion, not on the approved list of foods for PhD weight loss, which kind of makes sense because it's got like something like 8,000 calories. It's pretty brutal. And I got to tell you, though, like, I'm, I don't miss it at all. I do not miss the blooming onion. I didn't even really, like, when I. Before I was on PhD weight loss, I didn't really eat the blooming onion because, like, even I recognize, like, that's probably not good, <laughs> right? And that's even before you start dipping it into the sauce because the sauce is like another thirty to forty thousand calories or something. But here's the thing: what PhD weight loss does not do count calories. They don't do it. They create a customized plan for me. They do it for you. They do it for everybody. You get a customized, personalized plan, and then you follow that plan. So I have my, uh, I've got my, you know, my rundown of everything that I eat. Um, and you, you, you can still eat, like, they got a whole list of the foods that you can. They tell you, like, don't eat this. And, like, you probably don't want to eat this, but once a week and that sort of thing. But I'm in the fat burn phase. And I got to tell you, it's working for me. The burn is occurring in the fat areas around my, so, it, so dudes, especially as we get older, I get, I hit like 40 and, it, like all of a sudden I started like putting on weight right around my belly. And um, that's the visceral fat. And that's the bad stuff. That stuff will kill me. And I don't want it to kill me. So I got to get rid of it. And so that's what PhD Weight Loss has been doing for me. You can see for yourself. Go to myphdweightloss.com. That's myphdweightloss.com. I dropped 10 pounds in the first week. Another seven in the second week. I go back for my weigh-in on Thursday. So I'll give you an update on Friday. Uh, on uh, the program, let you know how I did. Fingers crossed. I mean, I feel like I can tell. Like, I can tell because, you know, clothes are fitting way better, which is cool because, like, now I opened up all the boxes with all my old clothing in it. And I was like, yeah, I get to uh, wear more clothing that I had moved, you know, from Asheville to Charlotte. I get to wear it now. Downside is it's all wrinkly because it's been in a box for, like, you know... (laughs) Three months, <laughs> so I got I got to do a lot of laundry. Okay, uh, go to myphdweightloss.com, myphdweightloss.com, or give them a call at 800-674-8991. Schedule your consultation. Do it now. You are worth it, okay? You are worth it, and take your first steps with me. Today, we can do this together. You know, I'll hold you accountable. You send me some emails. I'll help you out. You help me out. That's the way we do it. All right, uh, that's myphdweightloss.com. .com and tell them that uh, I sent you. So for now in Australia, by the way, shrimp is on the list of food you can eat. Like all proteins are actually. So um, yeah, shrimp. So if you're in Australia, you're going to be fine because you can eat the shrimps there. Um, Australia reported 1,126 new coronavirus infections on Saturday, mostly in the New South Wales area where the Delta variant outbreak is the worst. So even Australia with all of their efforts that they've ta- uh, undertaken, right? The lockdowns, the zero COVID policy, mass vaccinations, they're at over like, I think they're at like 70% or so, right? So they, they, they've done, just like Israel, they've done all of these things, and now they're seeing a massive spread as well. And their whole thing was, like, we got to stay, you know, under 1,000 um, infections, and they're over 1,000 now. So it's like, it, it, it's... 
there's something else going on that all of these policies are not exactly addressing. A strange lady, she made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And she said, you come from a land down under. A women go and I stand corrected. I know two foods of Australia. Alligator and shrimp. Three Vegemite sandwiches. Never had a Vegemite sandwich. I don't know what it is. Oh, bread. There's another one. Yeah. It's one of the most hilarious videos. It's like everything that the lyric says, they act out. There it is, the Vegemite sandwich from a big muscular man. Who like to- he like tosses it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a, it's just like a vegetarian sandwich. Have you ever eaten a Vegemite sandwich? 704-570. No idea. All right, a couple more things on the COVID front. Um, Karen Gallardo, 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 I think it's how she pronounces it. Karen is a respiratory therapist at Community Memorial Hospital in Ventura, California. And uh, she says that uh, the trajectory of the patients that she sees from admission all the way through critical care is all too familiar. She's been treating COVID patients for 17 months now. And she says when you, uh, when they're vaccinated, their COVID-19 infections usually end after stage one. All right. So there are these seven stages that she writes about at the L.A. Times. And if you've got the vaccine, she says, usually you're out after stage one, which is you've had debilitating symptoms for a few days, but now it's starting to get hard to breathe. So you go to the emergency room. Your oxygen saturation level tells you that you need help, a supplemental flow of one to four liters of oxygen per minute. We admit you and start you on antivirals, steroids, anticoagulants, monoclonal antibodies. You'll spend several days in the hospital. You'll feel run down. But if uh, if we can wean you off of the oxygen, then you'll get discharged and you survive. So that's stage one. That's what most people will start exhibiting. These are the symptoms when you start to have shortness of breath, you can't get air. Go to the hospital. They hit you up with the steroids, the antivirals, anticoagulants, monoclonal antibodies. And, uh, and then you, you rebound. They get you off the oxygen and you get discharged. Stage one. And she said, again, when you're vaccinated, that's usually where they part ways with you or you part ways from them. Stage two, it becomes harder and harder to breathe. Like drowning, many patients describe the feeling. The bronchodilator treatments we give you provide a little relief. Your oxygen requirements increase significantly from 4 liters to 15 liters. Now goes up to 40 liters per minute. Little things like relieving yourself or sitting up in bed become too difficult for you to do on your own. Your oxygen saturation rapidly declines when you move around. So we transfer you to the intensive care unit. Stage 3. You're exhausted from hyperventilating to satisfy your body's demand for air. We put you on non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, which is a big bulky face mask that has to be Velcroed 
tightly to your face so the machine can efficiently push pressure into your lungs to basically pop them open so you can get enough of the oxygen that's being delivered. So there's a separate thing that helps you to breathe, right? That's stage three. Stage four, your breathing becomes even more labored. You can tell, uh, or sorry, we can tell that you are severely fatigued. An arterial blood draw confirms that the oxygen content in your blood is now critically low. So we get ready to intubate you. If you're able to, and if there is time, we will suggest that you call your loved ones because this might be the last time that they will ever hear your voice. They connect you to the ventilator. You're sedated, paralyzed, you're fed through a feeding tube, you're hooked to a Foley catheter and a rectal tube. We turn your limp body regularly so you don't develop pressure ulcers or bed sores. We bathe you and keep you clean. We flip you onto your stomach to allow for better oxygenation. We will try experimental therapeutics. Then comes stage five. Some patients survive stage four. Unfortunately, your oxygen levels and overall condition have not improved after after several days on the ventilator. Your COVID-infested lungs need assistance and time to heal, something that an ECMO machine, which bypasses your lungs and directly oxygenates your blood, this ECMO machine can do that. But, she says, our community hospital does not have that capability. So if you're stable enough, you'll get transferred to another hospital for that therapy. Otherwise, we'll continue treating you as best we can. We're understaffed. We're overwhelmed. But we'll always give you the best care we can. Stage six, the pressure required to open your lungs is so high that air can leak into your chest cavity now. So we insert tubes to clear it out. Your kidneys fail to filter the byproducts from the drugs that we continuously give you. Despite diuretics, your entire body swells from fluid retention, and you require dialysis to help with your renal function. The long hospital stay and your depressed immune system make you susceptible to infections, which, by the way, that's one of the reasons you always want to stay out of the hospital, because the infections at the hospitals get you. A chest X-ray shows fluid accumulating in your lung sacs. A blood clot may show up as well. We cannot prevent these complications at this point. We treat them as they present themselves. If your blood pressure drops critically, we'll administer vasopressors, I guess, vasopressors, vasopressors, whatever, uh, to bring it up, your blood pressure. Uh, But your heart may stop anyway. After several rounds of CPR, we'll get your pulse and circulation back. But soon your family will need to make a difficult decision, which is stage seven. After several meetings with the palliative care team, your family decides to withdraw care, so we extubate you, turning off the breathing machinery. We set up a final FaceTime call with your loved ones. As we work in your room, we hear crying and loving goodbyes. We cry as well, and we hold your hand until your last natural breath. I've been at this for 17 months now. And that is Karen Gallardo, respiratory therapist at Community Memorial Hospital in Ventura in a piece of the L.A. Times called Here's What the Seven Stages of Severe COVID-19 Look Like. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110-1800-WBT, 1110 in a half an hour. We're going to have... Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. No, I'm kidding. Tim Moore, the Speaker of the North Carolina House. Tim Moore will join us again on the program. And um, 
And I thought we weren't allowed. Wait, I thought you weren't allowed to have songs with words in them. What was that? Who was that? Is that in excess? Tears for Fears? Who is that? Who? Who's St. Lucia? It's an island. Who is that? It's a band. I've never heard of this band. It sounded like Tears for Fears. You don't even know who that is, do you? Oh, okay. But it does sound like them, doesn't it? Now I have my bumper music for the next segment. Yeah. Um, no, I don't like Tears for Fears. <laughs> I'm just saying I heard, yeah. Uh, didn't I give you a list of bumper tunes? What, whatever you, you, became of you, the you, list of bumper songs? You gave me like three. <laughs> I gave you a band. They've got more. They have a lot of songs, too. Oh, that was a band? I gave you two bands. Yeah, you gave me two bands. I actually gave you three bands, as a matter of fact. You gave me Audio Slave, and you gave me... What was the other one? Exactly. How do you not know this? I have it. I have the paper. Audio Slave, I gave you Pearl Jam, and I gave you... So I have a love-hate relationship with Pearl Jam. I don't care. <laughs> we usually do this in our meetings after the show, but just giving you a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> the show beyond the show. <laughs> Many parents around the nation have grappled with their children missing large chunks of in-person learning at schools during the COVID-19 pandemic. This according to a story at TheBlaze.com by Alex Nitzberg. But in an interview with Los Angeles Magazine, the president of the United Teachers Los Angeles Union, Cecily Mayart Cruz, said, quote, there is no such thing as learning loss, which, by the way, is the exact same thing that the president of the North Carolina Association of Educators, the uh, the union, don't call it a union, Association of Teachers, um, Tamika Walker-Kelly, she said the same thing a couple of months ago, that, that learning loss is a myth. So this is apparently what the teachers union folks are laboring under the, no pun intended, uh, they're, they're laboring under the delusion that learning loss is not really a thing. Which, if that's not really a thing, then, like, what are we hiring you for? <laughs> Why have teachers at all? She says, there's no such thing as learning loss. When questioned about how her insistence on keeping schools mostly shut down over the prior year and a half might have impacted the city's K-12 students, Here's what she said, quote, our kids didn't lose anything. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. So this is a like like this is a movement teacher. This is what she's about. People who still put your kids in these government schools, like I don't know how much clearer it needs to be for you. And before you think, well, that's you know California, they're all crazy out there. That would never happen here. Um, Justin Parmenter is just but one example. There's another fellow named uh, Brian Prophet. There's uh, there are many, many teachers in North Carolina. They populate the Twitter feeds, hashtag NCED for education. No, it's not that other one. So NCED, NCED, and you'll find them. James Ford, he's one of the members on the school board himself, the state school board, James Ford from Mecklenburg County. I think he was a teacher at, uh, where was he, West, was he at West Charlotte? Or maybe it was Garinger, I forget. 
Um, but he was like a teacher of the year winner or runner up or two time winner or something. I forget, but he's on the state board of education. He's been all in on the critical race theory stuff. He goes on to podcasts and, and, and uh, talks about how, uh, you know, we need to teach the real history, you know, of the oppressors. And um, he's a teacher. And these folks are all over the K-12 government schools. Of course they are. And you've encountered them. And you can see their writings and such. Generally, they identify themselves. They self-identify, which is very helpful. Uh, the socialists among them, like, because the people I just named, like uh, Parmenter, he does like notes from the chalkboard, I think is his little blog that he does. Um, like they're, they're full-on socialists. Like, unapologetically so. Brian Prophet, same thing. Like, these are the guys that are all, uh, they, they won the um, uh, Tamika Walker-Kelly and Brian Prophet. They won the the elections for the union, for the North Carolina Association of Educators. And like, oh, no, we're not a union because we can't collectively bargain, and that's illegal in North Carolina. Yet, just because you can't collectively bargain doesn't mean you're not affiliated with the NEA, which you are because you were created at the NEA Summer Conference. All those years ago, what, 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was. Like, you are one of their affiliates. You're a union. When they pass stuff at the national level, guess who's at the meetings? You guys. So you're a union. I don't care if you can collectively bargain or not. Um, that doesn't make you not a union. So what's nice is that these folks self-identify where they wear their red T-shirts. I mean, perfect color as well uh, for the mentality. But the... Um, in the ideology, uh, they wear their red for Ed on Wednesdays, red for wed or red for Ed on wed. Right. Um, and so you wear your red T-shirts so you can identify that you're for the teachers. Right. That's what that's about, which kind of stinks, too, by the way, because like if like what if red is your color? I mean, I acknowledge it's not in my color wheel. I don't wear red. I just it doesn't I don't I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan of red in general as a color. Um and as a political philosophy, but like as a color, I don't wear red. But for some people, they look very good in red. And that really stinks for them because on Wednesdays, you know, like if they could be anti-communist, anti-teachers union, and if they're, you know, wanting to wear red and, and go to work at the schools, like they can't. It's really selfish. Is this St. Lucia? <laughs> Alrighty. TheBlaze.com reporting in a uh, story by Alex Nitzberg. Headline, Teachers Union President says kids may not have learned all their times tables, but they know the words insurrection and coup. And that's what's really important. Quote, it is not radical to ask for ethnic studies, she said, according to Los Angeles Magazine. It is not radical to ask for child care. It is not radical to ask for police-free schools so that students don't feel criminalized. That is not radical. That's just fact. Hey, look, you want to pull all the cops out of the schools? Okay. I mean, until there's the next, you know, attack on a school. Isn't it amazing how quickly people forget about this stuff? What else? Oh, um, the outbreak. Yes. 2000 quarantined after 176 test positive for COVID-19 in Union County schools. Nearly 2000 people, including students and staff, quarantined in Union County schools as 176 tested positive for COVID-19 within the school district. 
Um, this is part of, the, by the way, this is all about like the mask mandate. Like the masks are quarantine prevention, right? Is that not obvious at this point? Right. The masks, because we've gone over the studies and like, I listened to my governor. I don't know about you guys, but I listened to my governor and he said that we are going to follow the science and data. And when he says it like that in this mantra, like this religious kind of way, like I believe him. And so I follow the science and the data as well. I mean, I, I chanted with him when he says it. So I know that the latest studies are showing that masks, the cloth masks that everybody wears don't really do anything i'm not trying to be like all anti-masker and everything like that i'm just pointing this out i mean i'm literally i just went down the hallway used the restroom and on my way there and back i wore a mask you know why company policy yeah company says if you want to work here pete you're gonna have to wear a mask when you walk around the building so i wear a mask now COVID is not in this room as i understand it not in this room because we've got the plexiglass uh, uh, shields hanging from the ceiling, uh, like three of them, four of them, sorry, four? Yeah, four of them hanging in the studio, mainly blocking the airflow, which actually does more good than the masks, but it's blocking the airflow, messing all of that up, and that is apparently the way that you block COVID from attacking the people in this sealed room. You go out in the hallway where you got better ventilation and you got like wide hallways and stuff. That's where you wear the masks. That's company policy. That's the company. They say that. So I, I follow the rules. Um, but the study, the science does not back that up. Okay. The science doesn't back it up. And so all of these quarantined people are being quarantined because they're not being forced to wear masks and vice versa. Right? Like that's the thing. If you, cause this is the hook that they get you with. It's like, if you wear the masks, if everybody wears masks, you make it mandatory at the school, everybody's got to wear the masks, then you don't have to quarantine, which, again, is that's an arbitrary uh, carrot, you know, stick versus carrot. It's arbitrary. It's not really based on science because the science says the research indicates that cloth masks, when worn properly, that's the key, <laughs> when worn properly, only good to stop about 10%. That's it. The best masks, when worn properly, which, by the way, nobody wears their masks properly. Cloth masks, can't wear them properly, really. I mean, you just can't. Especially for, what, eight hours a day, whatever, when they're in school. It's just, it's an impossibility. And what the, the study that came out of Waterloo, what they found was that the cloth masks are no better or actually worse, you'd be better off with, quote, modest ventilation. That's better. Modest ventilation, unless you want to strap up everybody with a N95 mask to get it like a 50% reduction. That's what the research says. That's what the science told me last week. Among other studies, by the way, there were a couple of them that came out within the last three weeks. That was the latest. So I'm following the science. So... Union County does not have a mask mandate, and so now everybody's getting quarantined. So if you adopt the mask mandate, wear them all the time, then we don't have to quarantine you if you get some cases that pop. That's that's the trade-off. That's the deal. See, there's all sorts of deals getting cut right now. 
deals like you don't get to work here unless you get a vaccine and proof of vaccination like here as well. So like these these are the deals that are being cut and they're not all scientifically based. But we're all just supposed to ignore this. Right. And then, by the way, you wonder why people don't trust you when you say, hey, the vaccines like this is the way out of the pandemic. This is how you get people to herd immunity. This is how you get more more people protected. This is how you minimize the impact of the disease. You wonder why they don't trust you while you're over here shopping this stupidity on the mask stuff. Like, what was it in Oregon where they're like, you got to mask up even if you're vaccinated and you're outside. Okay, you're an idiot, Governor. Like, sorry, you're that's you're just an idiot. That is so stupid. Who would who would say such a thing except a stupid person? Recently, according to WBTV story, recently the district officials said masks and face coverings will continue to be optional for all students and staff members within Union County Public Schools this coming year. So, and this information is presented as proof of what, by the way? Why is that? Why do they put that information in this story about the masks or about the uh, the outbreak of 176 positive cases forcing quarantine of 2000 people? Why would you include this part about the mask policy? Oh, because you're trying to make the connection that the that the lack of a mask policy is why everybody got sick. Hospitals are seeing an unusual spike in winter respiratory illness. That's weird. It's not even winter time. As North Carolina hospitals struggle with rising numbers of COVID-19 patients, Charlotte Observer reporting that they're also seeing a surprising number of people, particularly children, sick with another respiratory illness that's usually a problem in the wintertime. Hospitals say they're not used to seeing summertime cases of respiratory syncytial, 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 I think is how that's pronounced. Virus, the RSV, the viral illness has symptoms similar to COVID-19 and influenza and is usually hardest on children under five and adults 65 and older. Interesting. So it has symptoms similar to COVID-19 and the flu. Huh. And most prevalent in kids. Huh. RSV is very common. Almost all children will have some sort of an RSV infection by their second birthday. And serious cases can cause more severe infections like pneumonia and a lung infection called bronchiolitis. About 58,000 children under the age of five are hospitalized with RSV in the U.S. every single year. And as many as 500 die from it. Have there been 500 deaths of children under the age of five from covid why does why are we reacting like this with covid like with the quarantining and all but not with rsv i just ask for a consistent standard folks that's all i'm asking i understand it's a new virus i understand you have to adapt but i i also understand that it seems like people are in, are more interested in ignoring and dismissing certain pieces of information because they might I don't know, undermine their prior beliefs. If you are too wedded to an idea that you've been holding on to for 17 months because somebody somewhere said it and you believed it, you're not practicing science. You're not. That's not the science, right? 
Wake Med Children's Hospital saw no cases of RSV in January. That's normally peak season. Now, all of a sudden, they got 180. What causes such a thing? Up next, we're going to shift gears and talk with the Speaker of the North Carolina House, Representative Tim Moore, Republican from Cleveland County. We're going to talk a little bit about Afghanistan and uh, maybe about guns, too. Stick around for that on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.